that I'm, I'm excited for this series. It's actually been a long time in the making, uh, not because the movie The Greatest Showman has been out all that long, but because ever since I was a kid, I heard a preacher say something one time, and I thought, I'm going to turn that into a sermon series one day. He goes, uh, it, just in a, a flow of a message one time, he said, have you ever noticed how every time Jesus says something dumb, something dumb always follows? And, I, and then he just moved on, and I thought, that is crazy. Every time Jesus says something crazy, something crazy always happens right after that. And Jesus says some ridiculous things throughout his ministry. He looks at a man who was lame. You know, he hadn't been able to walk his entire life, and he says, hey, get up. You just don't do that to somebody. That's just cruel. That's just mean. But Jesus, every time he says something crazy, something crazy always happens as a result. And so in the book of John chapter 9, if you want to open there with me today, the book of John chapter 9, I want to explain some of the context before we dive into verse 1. Now, you need to understand as you're studying the Word of God that the verse numbers and the chapters, those are not inspired. Those were added by translators later so that you could find things more readily in Scripture. Um, When they wrote these letters, They wrote them as that, as long-form letters. And so sometimes if we just jump straight into a chapter and we miss out on what happened right before, um, we miss like the the greater picture in the story. So in John chapter 8, Jesus has just finished talking with the Pharisees and he says something a little bit crazy. Um, They're getting upset with him. Um, He's just healed a woman, or he's uh, just helped a woman who was caught in adultery and he wrote something down in the mud that caused everybody to walk away. He's performed miracles and he's been healing people and all kinds of crazy things. And the Pharisees come to him and he, he makes a statement. He says, before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. And this really ticked the Pharisees off. And if you're new to church, Pharisees uh, are just like the, uh, the church leaders of the day, but th- they were in, in the wrong kind of church. They were not serving the Lord. They were kind of making up rules as they went, like uh, your children do whenever you play them in a, a board game, um, or like Kayla does whenever you're trying to get something done. Just make up rules as we go and just follow it. You're supposed to keep up. Amen. That was Zach paid me $15 to say that, and so... That's why I slipped it in there. But listen, they're making up all kinds of extra rules, and they're saying, well, our father Abraham, you know, the, the, the founder of the, the Jewish uh, tribe, you know, our father Abraham, he's the one that we follow, and Jesus is here to say, no, you follow me. You follow God. That's who you follow. And they're like, well, we are of our father Abraham. And he says, before Abraham was, I am. Now, grammatically, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense because he uses a different tense of a verb. And when you read through a good book, you know that they always speak in the same tense. And Jesus says, before Abraham was, past tense, I am, present tense. What he's saying is, as God, I exist outside of the boundaries of time because I'm the one who created time to begin with. And so I'm not influenced by your minutes and hours and years and your calendars. I created that. So I always have been. So people ask, when did God begin? He, he didn't. He always has been. And you go, well, that's hard for me to understand. And I, to that I say, exactly. And if I served a God who I could figure out, I probably wouldn't serve him for very long. I'm glad he exists outside of the, the what well, I can wrap my physical brain around. Okay? If you can carve your God out of wood or in, in some sort of a precious a stone, That's a God you can wrap your mind around. That's a little G God. They're not going to do anything for you but take up space on a shelf. I serve a God who created me, and he created the time that I live in, and I don't understand it all, but I'm glad that he understands all of me. That's what I'm excited about. And so he says, before Abraham was, I am. And the Pharisees look at him, and they go, you don't know what you're talking about. They looked at him, and they said, you're not even 50 years old. A bunch of ageists, you know. You're not even 50. There's no way. I mean, did you see Abraham or did Abraham know you? You're not even 50. And that was hundreds of years ago. How can you say, before Abraham was, I am? And he says, listen, before he was, I am. And see, that would have been confusing or or angering to them on a whole other level because he just referred to himself as I am. Now, in, in the Old Testament, that is a name that God gave himself. Moses is at the burning bush in the book of Exodus, and God's sending him to go deliver the children of Israel from Egypt. And Moses says, who do I tell them sent me? And God says, I am. And Moses has got his paper ready, and he's like, I am the deliverer. God says, I am. 
okay, hold on. Just, I just want to make sure that I heard you right. Okay, who do I tell them? I, I asked you, who do I tell them sent me? You said, I am. God goes, I am that I am. See, Popeye didn't come up with that. Jesus did. Okay. And he's like, I am that I am. And Moses is like, but I need you to give some sort of a title. And God is expressing that if I gave it some sort of a delineator, that would limit the scope of my power and influence. And I just am. So you can, I am healer, I am deliverer, I am provider, I am promise keeper, I am all of those things, but I am all of those things, so the only way that you can really refer to me in a way that is all-encompassing is to call me what I am. I am. And so Jesus says, well, before Abraham was, I am, and they go, okay, everybody pick up a rock. A little bit of overcompensation here, but they decide they're just going to kill him right there on the spot. Now, that's the end of chapter 8, and we move into chapter 9. And listen, God always does everything in order. He always does everything in order. And so it is no coincidence what we're getting ready to see. Because Jesus has just been showing the church people of the day and the culture. He came for the world. He's showing everybody that they are not seeing clearly And they try to kill him. Somehow he escapes as we begin in John chapter 9, verse 1. If you're ready to jump into the chapter, say jump. And he passed by. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents but that the works of God might be displayed in him. He says, we must work the works of him who sent me. Somebody say sent. While it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. And having said these things, now listen, the Bible is not boring, but it sometimes can be gross. So watch out, those of you with weak stomachs. Watch what Jesus does here. It's crazy. Having said these things, he spit on the ground And made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud. And said to him, go, wash in the pool of Siloam. Which means what? So he went and washed and came back seeing. Father, this morning, would you please move in this place? Would you allow your Holy Spirit to do the preaching today? And Lord, give us the word that we need to hear. Lord, show us what we need to see. And God, I pray as we dive into your book, that we would see your face and your hand so that you would get all the glory. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. We thank you for Chick-fil-A Chicken Minis on this Sunday. And all the church said... Amen. So right here, the disciples come to Jesus and they say, hey, Rabbi, uh, that man that you pointed out, Jesus stops by and he says, look at that. There's a blind man. And they say, hold up. What did he do to become blind? Or what did his parents do? They must have done something incredibly awful for this man to have a sickness that uh, exaggerated. Like they must have done something really terrible in order for him to be blind. Now understand this, that sickness is proof of sin, but Jesus is about to demonstrate and teach that sickness is not always punishment for sin. Sickness is proof of sin, but it's not always punishment for sin. Listen, the Pharisees, the religious people of the day, and the disciples, having been raised up in that culture, would have believed that if you were experiencing sickness, it was God judging you for something awful that you had done, or God judging your kids for something that you had done. And so they're curious, being the nosy church people that they are, they began to ask Jesus. Jesus points out, look, there's a blind man, and they go, Jesus. I mean, look at that. I mean, that's pitiful. That's pit- look, he's helpless. He can't do anything. He's got to stand there every day in the same spot and just beg for money and beg for food. And I mean, he can't work. He can't provide for his family. He's an outcast of society because of his illness. You know, they weren't sure what was contagious and what wasn't. And it must have been something really, really awful for karma to have caught up with them like this. It must have been something really, really bad for God to have judged him like this. So Jesus, what did he do? And Jesus says, listen, sickness is proof of sin. Listen, I get asked all the time, why would God, why would a loving and a sovereign God allow 
a little precious baby to have cancer? Why would a loving God allow me to experience this disability or this sickness? Why would a loving God, and and we begin to point our finger at God as we ask why, what we're really doing is accusing him of doing that to us, and that's not how God works at all. The sickness that you encounter is a result of the fallen, sinful world that you live in. You were born into these bones and this flesh and this skin, and while you live in it, it is decaying. If you want proof, just look at your neighbor. Some of y'all's hair turning gray, some of y'all's hair turning loose. Some of y'all came into the room with blue hair today. Like, all I'm here to say is that while you're in this body, it is progressively getting worse. Take that, Lincoln. You're progressively getting worse. I just want (laughs) to... speak that into your life right now. I'm just here to be an encouragement. I'm just here because you're always pointing your finger at me and telling me, did you work out today? And I'm like, no, because I'm dying, okay? So leave me alone. (laughs) While you are in this body, it, it is progressively dying, and there's going to be a day when you die. And what's interesting to me is why um, we accuse God of the bad things, but we fail to give him glory for the good things. That's interesting to me. But, you know, like my great-grandmother, we loved her so much. She was a prayer warrior, and she was sharp as a tack, and she was up in her 90s, and we all thought she was going to live to be 100, you know, and and she fell sick, and um, we started praying that God would heal her. Now listen, God chose in that healing to give her ultimate healing for her body. Weren't none of us that looked at God and said, What are you talking about? Because we knew the day is coming. Listen, why would God allow? Listen, God allowed Adam and Eve to have a choice one day in the garden. He said, you can choose me or you can choose the tree, but the choice is up to you. Because if there is no choice, then there is no love. And Adam and Eve chose rather than to love God to Try to check this out. Because of the sin of Adam, sin enters the world, and you were born a sinner. Look at your neighbor. Tell them, you a sinner. Just in case they forgot. Just let it, just, I mean, point your finger in their face and tell them, you're a sinner. Because you've got three fingers pointing back at yourself. Like, all y'all, all y'all, all of you watching online, we're glad you're here. Y'all a bunch of sinners. Some of y'all skipping out on church today. Sinners. You know, just a bunch, bunch of sinners all over the place. Room full of sinners. That's why we have one rule here at one church. Say it with me. No perfect people. If you came in here thinking you were perfect, wrong place. And if you came in here all jacked up and messed up, you were found your people. We are all here on this journey together. So the reason why sickness is here is a result of the sinful world that we are present in. And Jesus goes, hey, listen, listen. Um, He didn't do anything. His parents didn't do anything other than be born for him to merit this. And so Jesus is going to give the answer. What he's about to say is sin is not a, a punishment for sin. It's proof of sin. But listen, God has a design for your disability. Watch what Jesus says back in verse number three. Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. In other words, God can be glorified in your imperfection. That's good news. God can be glorified in your imperfection. A lot of us come into the room and we're asking God, fix my problem, take away my imperfection, just like the Apostle Paul prayed. God, take this thorn in the flesh, take this thorn in the flesh. Could I talk to the single ladies life group for a minute? Your singleness is not an imperfection that God cannot be glorified in. God might want you to be single for a minute so he can teach you and he can grow you. Some of y'all married people in the middle of a relationship that you're going, what in the world. If I had to give it a name, I'd say imperfection. God can be glorified in your imperfection. Some of you stepped into the room today with some uh, emotional just handicaps and you're going, why do I have this insecurity? Why is it that God made me this way? And the answer for it is simple, so that God can get the glory 100% of the time. He says, hey, you've got that, so I'm going to use it. The Apostle Paul, as he's asking God, please take this thorn in the flesh away. And the scripture doesn't tell us what it was. My dad used to say that he thought it was a mother-in-law. I don't know. But 
He had a thorn in the flesh that he was begging God to remove from him. God, take this thorn. Look up here. Take this thorn. And God didn't tell us specifically what it was for a reason, I believe. Because your thorn is going to be different than your neighbor's thorn. Your thorn might be your neighbor. I don't know. But your thorn's going to be different from the other people in the room. And God wanted you to know the answer that he gave Paul is true for you. My grace is sufficient. When you're weak, there am I made strong. And so we celebrate weaknesses in this place. We celebrate handicaps and imperfections in this place. Why? Not because we're celebrating sin, but because we're celebrating the areas in our life where we just have to trust fall back into the arms of God. Because in the areas that I think I've got everything all under control, those are the areas where I mess up a lot. In the areas where I think that I know it all and that I've got it all handled and I've got it covered, those are the areas where I often forget to get on my knees and say, God, you know that I cannot do this by myself because I really think that I can. And those are the areas where the enemy goes, gotcha. If you weren't here for the last series, go watch it online. Those of you watching online, go check it out on YouTube, but wait till we're done here, okay? And so the enemy goes, hey, you think that you can handle that all by yourself? I got an arrow ready for you because your human is showing. It's not protected by the armor. And so those areas where I'm imperfect, those areas of vulnerability, those areas where I'm not sure that I can handle it, good news and bad news. Bad news, you can't. Good news is he can't. And so if you'll just say, God, I don't got it, but I know that you got me. I'm just going to trust fall into your arms today. God goes, I will handle it. I will take care of it. I've got this. In other words, God wants to get the glory through your imperfection. God has a design for your disability. In other words, the area that you've been complaining about on social media, the area that you've been whining about to your friend, the area that you've been going to God in tears saying, God, please take this from me. God may just very well leave that in your life so that he can get the glory. And you'll find out that you'll come to celebrate those areas because you'll go, you know what? I know that I'm battling this in my mind. I know that I'm battling this in my family. I know that I'm battling this in my body. But I know a God who always wins the battle. And so So I'm going to just trust his strength in my situation. So Jesus answers the disciples, hey, I've got a design for his disability. Now, what I think is amazing is that the disciples weren't the first people to point out the blind man. Jesus throws their attention to the blind man. We saw it in verse 1. As he passed by, he saw a blind man. He pointed him out, and he pointed him out in such a way that the disciples said, Okay, Jesus, why in the world does he have this blindness? Why are you showing us that man? What do you want to teach us? He begins to teach them about how God gets the glory through the situation. But what I find is incredible is that all through the New Testament, there are examples of people who went chasing after Jesus. There's the woman with the issue of blood that said within herself, if I could touch the border of his garment, I could be healed. So she made her way through the press to touch him. There was Zacchaeus who said, I want to know who Jesus is. So he was a short guy like me. Praise God. God loves short people more. You got to hand it to short people because they can't reach it on their own. And so Zacchaeus says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to climb to the top of the tree and I'm going to see Jesus who he is. And he went chasing after Jesus. But what's amazing is that Jesus is in the habit of coming chasing after you. This blind man had no clue that Jesus was coming through. This is not the story of blind Bartimaeus who stood on the wayside yelling, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. This blind man, he doesn't do that. He's just standing where he's standing and doing what he's supposed to do. And the miracle started coming in his direction. Jesus points him out. The disciples ask a question. God gets the glory. And watch what happens. The blind man has an appointment with the miracle worker on this day. He didn't even know that he had an appointment with the miracle worker on this day. He didn't wake up in the morning going, you know what, today's the day that Jesus... I mean, we don't even know if this man knew who Jesus was. It's likely, but the scripture doesn't tell us. All we know is that this man woke up in the morning not knowing, and all of a sudden, the master passed by his way. Let me just pause for a second and thank God for the times when Jesus came passing by. I'm thinking about the times when I didn't know what I was going to do and Jesus passed by. He, he does a little drive-by every once in a while just to let you know he's still there and he's still in the miracle working business. He had an appointment with the master and this morning, I'm happy to announce to you today, you've got an appointment with the miracle worker whether you know it or not. 
You have an appointment. It's a standing appointment, and you might have forgotten about it. You might not even have known that it was coming your direction, but good news today, I've got an appointment with the Lord. It's a standing appointment. He never fails to show up. The blind man didn't say anything as I read through this chapter. He didn't say anything. Jesus comes to him. Praise the Lord and amen from the back row. If the baby can amen, y'all can amen too. Praise, praise his name. The blind man didn't say anything. The miracle came to him. I just started thinking about the scripture that says, Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Just stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Jesus saw that he was blind. He's about to show that he's going to get the glory. And this, this is amazing. This is amazing. The disciples, I mean, they're just caught up in the, in the because. I mean, they can't get over it. They can't get over the because. They're like, Jesus, we want to know the cause for this problem. Would you tell us what happened to, to create this? We need to know the because. You know, any of y'all have children that constantly ask the question, why? Anybody have that or you went through that? I have a little brother named George, and he's, he's still a little, is your why question asker sitting by you in the room today? Just asking why all the time. Why? And my little brother George was like that. You know, he would ask the simple question, just the simplest one, you know, um, and he did it. He was here last year, year before that. And he, he walked in and he said, hey, um, why is that wall painted black? And I was like, because. <laughs> so I'm like, so that, I just made something up on the spot. I was like, so that when somebody's standing up there, it sucks your attention you know, to them and not to the wall, I guess. I don't know. He's like, well, why? <laughs> well, because we want people to pay attention in church. Why? I'm like, dude, you're a preacher's kid. You ought to know that. You know, he's like, well, why? I don't, and I mean, you can spend three hours answering the, and it never end because you can ask why to anything. The disciples, much like those little children, are going, well, God, Jesus, why? Rabbi, why? We want to know the because. I mean, we see what's happened, but we want to know why. For what cause? Because why does he have this? And Jesus has just finished demonstrating in their hearing and in their presence that he's not interested in you knowing the because. What he's interested in you looking at is the before. It's not about the because, God, because why am I going through this right now? Because why am I encountering this? Because why do I have this in my body? And God goes, no, before that happened, I created you. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. I'm not interested so much in you asking me about the because. What I'm interested in you knowing is that before this ever happened, I was still in control. And Jesus does something new. He does something new. Watch what he does. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. And then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam. I love that Jesus does something new. You want to know why? Like, there are so many times in Scripture where Jesus says something and the miracle happens. You know, Jairus's daughter is sick, and Jesus says, go home, your daughter has been healed. You know, Jesus looks at the layman, and he says, arise. Jesus speaks, and miracles happen. But here, Jesus does something out of the ordinary. I mean, if you read back in the book of John and in the Gospels, you can find where at one point he spits in the man's face, and the man is made to see. But now he spits on the ground and makes some mud. Why in the world does he do that? Because God wants you to fall in love with the miracle worker, not the way of the miracle. He wants you to fall in love with the promise keeper and not with the process. That Because it's going to be a different process for you than it was for your neighbor. And some of us are going, well, God did this, 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 and this in order for my friend. And so now I'm expecting him to do the exact same thing in order for me. And God's going, no, 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 no. You're different. Your problem's different. I am the same God. But I'm going to do something unique for you so that you don't fall in love with the process, but so that you recognize the promise keeper who always keeps his promises. He wants you to fall in love with him and not with the way. And so he does something unique and something different, and everybody standing around probably would have been a little grossed out. Now, I love the little countdown video that we've got, and, and I love all the, well, I don't love all the little pictures of Jesus that are floating around online. Could I just debunk a myth for you real quick? This is a rabbit trail, but I just, it's my soapbox. I want to stand on it for a second. Jesus was a Jew. He was an Israelite. He was born in the Middle East. He was not a hipstery white dude. 
But that little boy said that he went to heaven and he saw Jesus for real. No, the Bible says that no man has seen the Father. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That little boy had a wonderful dream, and I praise God for it. And it might have been a vision, it might have been a dream, but he did not go to heaven. How do you know? Because the Bible says so. Love is little imagination. But he, Well, he painted a picture, and he said, that's exactly what God looks like. Yeah, well, the little kids brought me something out of Play-Doh last week, and I messed it up. I broke my own rule, and I was like, oh, that's a really cool sign. And uh, Hayden goes, it's a cross. And I was like, oh, sorry. <laughs> Jesus had dark skin, and he did not have the long hippie hair. Why? Because it was a shame for a man to have long hair, unless you had taken the Nazarite vow like Samson in the Old Testament. So Jesus had a manly haircut. He was a man's man. He was raised by a carpenter. He built things with his hand. The Bible says he grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God. And man, he was not the skinny little white European dude with the long hippie hair. I'm sorry, Jesus was not a wimp. I'm not sorry about that. He was a man. Here's why I got off on that for a second. Because the blind man is standing there, you know, not doing anything, you know, just being blind, just asking people for money. And Jesus walks up, and imagine, put yourself in the blind guy's shoes for a second. He's not deaf. He he can't see, but he can hear. And all of a sudden, somebody walks up and goes, (laughs) and all of a sudden, you start feeling something wet on your face? Uh Uh-uh. Negative, Ghost Rider. I am not. I'm not about that. No, thank you for the one Top Gun fan in the room. Listen, he's like, all of a sudden, like, I'm hearing something and I hear, I know what that sound is. And all of a sudden, I start feeling something on my face. Listen, some of y'all are close talkers. And I I have to pray because you stand as close to my face and you start sharing with me and you spit in my face like I do when I'm preaching. And I'm like, God help me, God help me, God help me. Like I have to go find Hannah Rodway and get one of her disinfectant wipes just to make it through the day. Like, and you don't believe me? Like, if I play the keyboard, Hannah disinfects it. She's like, I do not want his germs. And I understand, you know, I don't want y'all's germs either. And like all of, I just, I can't imagine what that would have been like. Why in the world would Jesus spit on the ground and then wipe it in somebody's face? Here's the reason why. A few reasons. Number one, because Jesus likes to use stuff. I mean, why didn't he just speak and see the miracle happen? Because Jesus likes to use stuff. He likes to use means. He likes to use unordinary things. And some of y'all stepped into the room today thinking that there are some people who are more equipped to serve God but you. Maybe you think you're a little weird. And if you think that, you probably are. But you're like, okay, I just, God, there's no way God could use, there's no way that I could be used to do something like what they're doing because I'm different and I've got this problem and I'm not ordinary. I'm a little bit different. I'm a little bit left of center. And God goes, yeah, if I spoke through a donkey and if I use spit and mud on the ground, I can use you too. God likes to use things to accomplish his purpose. And so he he gets down on the ground, he spits, and he begins to make mud. Here's another reason. The Pharisees had made all kinds of extra biblical rules about the Sabbath day. We're on the Sabbath day here when he's walking by the blind man. And a couple of their rules included you could not knead dough. You couldn't make dough because they said that was work. And now God didn't make all of those extra rules. God made a few, and the Pharisees added a bunch of bonus rules to it. And listen to this. This is one of the most fun ones that I just learned as I was preparing for today. Um, There was a rule that you could not, it was a sin to spit on a Sabbath day. For real. Here's the reason why. They believed that saliva had medicinal purposes. And so if you were a doctor and you were mixing up like an ointment for somebody, it was likely that you would put saliva in there because you believed it would help heal them. And so they said, since they use saliva to heal people, no spitting on the Sabbath because that's work and nobody works on, nothing good should happen on the Sabbath day. There's a lot of churches that still abide by that, but I'm just, this is a little side note right there. Nothing fun should ever happen on the Sabbath. If that's what you were hoping for, sorry, wrong place. Um, We're a bunch of fun people. Weird people, but we fun, so enjoy. Um, and so they no spitting on the Sabbath day. So Jesus not only spits, but he mixes up something on the ground, showing the Pharisees, I don't have to abide by your rules because I'm the Lord of the Sabbath day. I created it. I'm the boss. You don't get to tell me. I get to tell you. And so he does this on the Sabbath day to prove that he is Lord of the Sabbath. I think that that's amazing. Um, 
I also think it's amazing that Jesus, who is our example that we ought to be following, proves that everything that comes out of our mouth ought to be for someone's healing and for their sight and not to, to blind them, not to break them down. Everything that came out of Jesus' mouth was to build somebody up. And if something's coming out of your mouth that's not to build somebody up, it shouldn't come out of your mouth. In fact, it shouldn't be stuck in your heart. Because from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And if it's coming out of your mouth, you had a problem long before you had a word problem. So he spits on the ground, he makes the mud, and then he puts it in the guy's eyes. And he tells him something interesting. I mean, crazy. He says, in verse number seven, go. All right. The, bl- the man is blind, yes? Remember that. And he hasn't, he's touched him, but he hasn't healed him yet. He, he's worse off now than he was before. Because if I couldn't see before, I definitely can't now. You just put your spit dirt in my face. Not only that, he tells him to go to the pool of Siloam. You're going to need to leave where you're at and navigate your way to another place, however far away. That does not make any sense to me. But you know what? As I read through the pages of Scripture from Genesis all the way up to John, I find all kinds of times when God says, hey, what I want you to do is I want you to find your way in the dark a little bit. God said to Abraham, I want you to leave where you're at and go to a land that I will show you. Abraham, where are you going? I don't know. I'm just walking until I get there. How will you know when you're there? I guess God will tell me. God says to us this morning, hey, I'm not always going to give you a clear picture of what's coming in the future. In fact, sometimes my word is going to be clear as mud, but what you got to do is walk in faith, trusting that I'm not going to lead you astray, and when you follow me, you'll always end up at the right destination, because God's not going to lead you to the wrong place. (laughs) Some of us trying to figure out, what in the world am I supposed to do? Where am I supposed to go? Because I feel like I'm blind. Here's what you do. Let the Lord mix up a little mud. And sometimes it's going to blind you. But you just walk knowing that wherever this leads you, you're going to be all right. Somebody's scared I'm going to walk off the stage. I'm going to be fine. Listen, God's not going to let me fall. And if he does, 10,000 angels will come and pick me up. That was Jesus. Never mind. Um, some of y'all need to know. You need to, you need to know. You need to recognize. You need to remember this. Listen, listen, listen. You do not know what the future holds, but God does. You do not know what's going to happen, but God does. You do not know how it's going to play out, but God does. And listen, sometimes this doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us in the moment. Sometimes obedience does not make sense. Sometimes trust and faith does not make sense. A lot of times it doesn't make any sense. And we feel like we're walking in the dark. But know this, when God puts this mud in your eyes, it's always to send you somewhere. And it will always be the place of healing. Follow this. Let Jesus wipe it in your eyes a little bit. Come to church and let the preacher spit a little bit. So that you can know where to go. Jesus says, I want you to go. But Jesus, you're telling me to go somewhere and I haven't found my healing yet. Jesus, you're telling me to go somewhere and I haven't experienced my miracle yet. Jesus, um, I'm thankful that you touched me, I guess. But I was really hoping this was going to work out the way I wanted it to work out. My question for you is this. Would you be satisfied with a touch from the Lord if it wasn't? everything you wanted? Would you be satisfied simply for Jesus to speak to you and to touch you even if it didn't mean you'd get your healing right away? Would you be satisfied with the miracle worker even if you didn't get the miracle worked that you were hoping for? Oh, maybe is God hoping to change our perspective so that we'll stop looking at him like a genie in a bottle and we'll start worshiping him as God? Maybe it is that God is wiping some mud in your eyes today to blind you to everything else so that you will blindly step in faith to follow him. Hmm. He has to now find his way in the dark. He has to walk by faith and not by sight. Some of y'all walking in the dark in your marriage right now. And you don't know how this is going to work out. You don't know how this is going to be solved. You don't know how there's going to be restoration. You have no clue. Keep stepping. 
but I don't know how this is going to work out. He does. You just follow him to where he sends you. Some of y'all walking in the dark in your job right now, and you have no idea what's going to happen in the future. You have no idea how God is going to step in and show out. If it's up to you and if it's up to the company you work for, everything may come to an end. Listen, just keep stepping toward the Lord. Some of y'all walking in the dark in an opportunity right now. No backup, no support, no money. You have no idea how this is going to work out. I know a God who works all things together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. It might not work out how you think it ought to work out, but I promise God will always work it out for your good and his ultimate glory. So I'm going to let him wipe this mud in my face, and I'm just going to walk where he tells me to walk. I'm going to go to the pool of scent. Tap your neighbor, say go. Some of y'all need to go today. Some of y'all, some of y'all waiting for God to do everything that you want him to do before you obey him, and God goes, no, no, no. That blessing and that miracle is contingent upon your step. Interesting. You mean you're going to send me like this? Yeah. Why? So I can get the glory. You're going to send me blind? Yeah, in blind faith is what I'm going to do. God, you're going to send me with this disability? Yep, I've got a plan for that. But God, no. My grace is sufficient. I want you to see what happens in in the man's life. Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed. You know what? I think we often skip out on celebrating the fact that he made it to the pool. We don't read where he had a guide holding his hand. I don't know how he made it there. It might have taken him a long time. But we skip out on celebrating the fact that he made it. Listen, can I just celebrate the fact that you made it here today? Your... Your success might be someone else's normal. I mean, it would have been normal for everybody else to walk to the pool of Siloam. They knew where it was at. It was a landmark. It was easy to get to. Not for this guy, though. And I think this is the reason why some of us spend all of our time blaming other people for our problems. Because we forget to celebrate the success that God has for us. We're trying to walk in somebody else's success rather than walk in the path that God has called us to walk in. And your success might be someone else's normal. Don't compare yourself to them. Compare yourself to him. He made it to the pool. He made it. And he obeyed. He washed himself and he came back seeing. Now I'm not going to spend time reading the whole rest of the chapter. Even though this is one of my favorite chapters of the Bible. The reason why is because this guy is one sarcastic fool. And I love it. He's amazing. But I want to demonstrate it to you for a purpose. Um, In verse number 8. The neighbors and those who'd seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? And some said, It is he. But others said, No, but he's like him. And he kept saying, I'm the man. And so they said to him, Well, then how were your eyes opened? And uh, he answered, Well, the man. Somebody say, The man. The man called Jesus, made mud. And anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed. I received my sight. Okay. Pause for a second. Because I don't want you to miss this. The man goes to the pool. He washes. He comes back seeing. He's walking through the town now looking at everybody going, hey, how you doing? Good to see you. You know. And they're like, who's this? And uh, everybody's kind of talking to themselves. Nobody's talking to him at first. That's funny how church people do. Um, And so... Everybody's looking at him like, is that, is that, hey, is that the guy? He kind of looks like that beggar. I mean, imagine imagine overhearing that. Like, because his other senses have been heightened. He's been blind. He probably kept his super hearing. That's what I'm going to assume. And he's hearing somebody whispering, ha, look at that guy. He kind of looks like that beggar out on the street. That would not have been a good thing to have heard. Look at him. And th- there's someone like, hey, that is the beggar. What's he doing? He looks different now. And everybody was like, no, that's not him. No, he looks wait, he looks similar. I'll give you that. He does look similar, but that's not the guy. And he kept trying to tell people, I can see. I see you right now. I'm looking at you. And I, they're going, nah, you can't see me. I just think about my dad. I mean, I've told you this before, but my dad would like to mess with people in Walmart. 
And so he would go find a high traffic area, and he would just stand there. Until somebody would say, sir, are you okay? And he'd go, you can see me? Right? <laughs> this guy walking through town, hey, good to see you. And they're like, what? You can see me? And he goes, yeah, I'm looking at you right now. I mean, I don't know what that color is. This is all kind of new for me, but like, I see you. <laughs> so glad, glad to meet you. I recognize your voice. You're that woman that's always talking to people outside the church building. I know who you are. You know, and so, he, good to see you. No, that's not the guy. That's, he looks like the guy, but it's not him, and he's trying to convince them. I am the man, because he wants restoration to his family. He wants, re- he wants to be accepted into the synagogue. Fun fact, because he was born with this illness, he would have never been welcomed in the synagogue because they would have assumed his illness was, like, from sin, and so he wasn't welcome in there. He was unclean. you got to stand outside the synagogue and there you can beg but you can't come inside fellowship with the church because you don't look like us and you got a problem and you are not welcome here because you're not perfect you've got an imperfection and and he's so he's he's wanting to have all the things that and so he's trying to convince everybody i can see i mean if you were blind and someone caused you to be able to see wouldn't you want everybody to know like you would not be like wow this is cool i think i'm gonna go and I'm going to go get a job now, you know. No, you, if you were blind and you were made to see, you would go running through the streets going, guess what? I can see you. Maybe you'd wear your glasses a little bit longer just to mess with people a little bit. You know, I don't know. Um, sometimes I take my friend Becky on, on the road with us whenever we go to places where we're going to be in a Spanish service. And she speaks Spanish, but she's white. And so we'll go sit in a restaurant, and sometimes people will be talking about us, but they don't know she can understand until she starts speaking back to them, and it's a lot of fun. Like, <laughs> so much fun. Listen, I, I, I don't know, but here's what I do know. They were convinced it was not him. And he's trying to convince them, no, 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 this this is me. And so they go, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take you to the Pharisees. We're going to take you and we're going to introduce you to them. And so um, they said in verse 12, where is he, the man who healed you? I mean, he just finished explaining. He put mud, he sent me to the pool, I came back cleansed. The man Jesus, he was the guy. And they go, well, which way did he go? And he goes, I didn't see Good question. You mean, so what happened? Okay, so the man Jesus, y'all heard of him? Yeah, so he put mud on my eyes. He spit, put mud on my eyes. It was gross, but it was cool. He sent me down to the water. I washed, and I came back seeing. Well, which way did Jesus go? Trick question. <laughs> it didn't happen. So we're going to take you to the church people, the man who had formerly been blind. It's kind of like the band formerly known as. You know, this is the man allegedly who was blind. We're not really sure. We're arguing about it. Um, and so it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. Verse 15, the Pharisees asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, notice this, before he explained the whole process, now he's getting a little frustrated. Like imagine if you're trying to convince somebody that it's you and they're not believing you. And he goes, listen, he put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. He's getting a little bit short. He's not explain. Listen, here's what he did. Mud, washed, I see you now. Stop arguing with me. It is me. And they're, they're not listening. And so they ask him, verse 17, well, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? And he goes, well, at first I just called him the man Jesus because I wasn't really sure. But because of the fuss y'all are putting up, the more I think about it, the more I realize he's probably a prophet because y'all are a bunch of jack wagons. Like, he... He's a prophet, and so that makes him upset. And the Jews did not believe that he was the bl- had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents. That's how our OC kids workers work back there. Sometimes your kids say some crazy things, and we do not believe them until we call the parents. And sometimes you confirm the crazy things. Let me tell you, I won't tell you who, but we had a little girl last year, and in a prayer request time, she prayed that her mommy and daddy would stop, would stop smoking. Or not smoke. So we thought that was weird. And we didn't, so we asked the parents, y'all, y'all smoke? And they're like, no. So we went and talked to the little girl and said, why are you praying for that? And she goes, because I don't want him to. It's like, good prayer request, I guess. I was proud of you. So they call the parents and they ask the parents, is this your son? And they say, that's our son. And they go, well, then how does he see? And he, they go, ha ha, we know what you're doing. Um, Skip ahead a couple of verses. There's some parentheses that John wants us to see. And they had heard how the Jews, which is interchangeable for the Pharisees, the Jews had decided if anyone confessed Jesus as Messiah, they were going to kick him out of the synagogue. And the parents didn't want to lose their spot. That's why we have a seating team here. Ain't none of y'all got a spot. If you, Your Bible can save your soul, but it will not save your seat. We will move it 
Um, and so they didn't want to lose their spot. They didn't want to lose their place in society. And so they're like, you know what? We've got something to lose, but our son, he's never been welcome in the synagogue. He's got nothing to lose. And he's an adult. He's of age. Why don't you ask him? We will confirm that it's our son, but don't ask us any more questions because we don't want to get into the, de- like, we just don't want to offend anybody. We just, we're just going to leave it at this. Listen, if your son had a terminal illness and it was healed, you better celebrate that. They show what their focus is on. It was on their position, not on the miracle worker. Like, I would rather have my pew than have his promise. That's what I want. Is this your son? That's our son. We will tell you that much. How did he get healed? Don't ask us that. We don't know. We don't care. Just leave us alone. Not interested. So the Pharisees call him back again. And they say in verse 24, give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. The Pharisees are quoting the book of Joshua right here. When there's sin in the camp in Achan's tent. And they had to go around. Give glory to God would have been like, uh, translated into modern vernacular, would be like looking at someone and saying, tell the truth. Give glory to God. And in order to tell the truth or give glory to God, what they were asking him to say is that Jesus was a sinner. This man doesn't know Jesus yet. He said he was a man. Now he thinks he's a prophet. And watch this. This is where I want to close. This is amazing. He answered in verse 25. Whether he's a sinner, I do not know. You're asking me for details. You're asking me for... I do not know the answer to all of your questions. Whether he's a sinner, I do not know. But one thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. One thing I do know, I don't know all the answers. I don't know how it happened. I don't know who the man Jesus really is. But one thing I do know, I was blind and now I'm not anymore. That's what I'm here to tell you. And listen, religion will always be the enemy of revelation. And when I'm talking about religion, what I'm talking about is unbelief. Because that's what religion is. Religion is unbelief. And you may be a part of like a religious system that acts in unbelief that puts God in a box. God can only work in this particular way, in this box, and that's all he can do. God in a box. Religion. It's unbelief. Unbelief that God can do something outside of the bounds of your imagination. I'm glad I serve a God bigger than my imagination able to do abundantly more than we ask or imagine. That's amazing. Unbelief. Or you could be a part of the religion of like total unbelief. You're like, I don't even, I don't even believe there's a God. That's where I'm at. And so you step into these scenarios much like the Pharisees and you go, I've already decided that you're wrong, but why don't you go ahead and try and convince me? And if the man tried to debate the healing properties of mud, They could have refuted him. They're probably smarter than him. If he tried to debate with them about the power of spit, they could have refuted him. He only had one argument. His argument refutes all religion, whether it's unbelief on the God in a box side or unbelief on the fact that God even exists. He says, there's one thing you can't take away from me. My story is this. I was blind. Now I see. That's all I know. Well, I was studying up on Noah's Ark, and I'm not sure how this is scientifically possible. And you believe that Old Testament, and you can go, I believe it. I believe the Word of God. I'm not a scientist. I can't debate all of it with you. I can. But I do know one thing. I was blind, but now I see. I do know one thing. I know God is real because our marriage was jacked up and God healed it. Only God could do that. Do you know one thing? I was bound in sin and Jesus took me in. Only God could do that. I may not can be able to argue with you about all the scientific things and you can attack me all you want, but one thing I do know, I was blind now I'm not anymore. Religion begins to attack your identity because here the religion of unbelief says, you're not the guy. You look like him, but you're not him. And that's what religion will do. Religion will fixate on what you were. Oh, you are the beggar. No, I was the beggar. Now I'm the seer. Oh, you were the sinner. I was the sinner. Now I'm the saved child of God. You were the addict. I was that, but now I am bought and paid for. 
for by the blood of Jesus. Religion fixates on your past identity, whereas an encounter with Jesus fixates on who God is right now. Religion, I mean, it begins to not only attack your identity, but it gives you questionable intentions like the parents. Listen, if you're here today out of obligation, God will not bless that. I go to church because I have to. I'm here because I want to be. I'm just praying because that's what I'm supposed to do. I, I sit in my spot because that's my spot. I do that because this is my obligation. My intentions are this. And listen, listen, that's not what grace does. Grace steps in. A Jesus encounter steps in and says, hey, rather than focus on who you were, let's focus on who he is. Rather than focus on the why of all of these things, why don't we focus on who is responsible for all of this? Everything revolves around the person and name of Jesus Christ. We are one church focused on one name, the name of Jesus. Religion can attack your intellect, the religion of unbelief. I mean, they began to argue with the man. You don't know what you're talking about. In fact, they looked at him and they said, you haven't even been in the synagogue. You've been sitting out there and now you're going to try and teach us? Nah. And they kicked him out of the room. He didn't care. He said, all I know is what happened to me and you can't rob me of that. Because the religion of unbelief says, well, that doesn't make any sense. And the Jesus encounter says... Might not. This is what does make sense. I was blind, and now I see. You know, why? Why mud? Why dirt? Why spit? You read between the lines a little bit, but could I, could I get you to think about the Lord in a different way right now? God spoke the world into existence, but he came down on earth one day and he gathered up a bunch of dirt and he breathed into its nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. See, Satan can destroy, but only God can create. What was it about him that looked so different that people didn't even recognize his facial structure? Could it be that he had a very common disease of the day, that an infection that caused babies to be born with eye sockets but no eyeballs? common thing back then. Could it be that Jesus spit in the mud and put dirt on there and said, hey, I'll do something nobody's ever done. I'll create something brand new. I don't know. What I do know is Satan can destroy. He can corrode. He can corrupt. But only God can create. And that's what he likes to do. Verse 35, Jesus heard they cast him out, and having found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Both times, Jesus goes to him. He goes to him. He goes to him. The man says, Who is this Jesus that I can believe in him? And he says this, You have heard him. You've seen him. He is speaking to you. And the man bowed down and worshipped him on the spot. Why do I have this problem? So God can get the glory and you can worship Him. So what am I supposed to do? Right, can you give me a five-step process? No. I could give you a one-stand process. Stand where you stand and do what you do. The miracle worker is coming to you. Stand where you stand, do what you're supposed to do, and know that the miracle worker